What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. The disaster known as Triller is now complete. I've got to give these guys credit in one regard, which is this show was far less painful than the previous. Far less painful. First off, it all fit into a reasonable window of three hours. And I don't know where exactly that sat, but I know I'm close, and three hours is definitely on the long end. You want to get that right around that hour, 20-minute mark. But it still wasn't seven hours like the previous disaster. They still forced you to watch something you didn't want to watch. And a promoter will never, ever not make the same mistake when he's new in the business which is to bring in other markets and other demographics and think that that's somehow going to help. If there was no music at all, Triller would have saved a lot of money and they would have done the exact same number of buys. That's the part where they they have this wrong. If you are ever in a meeting, and I digress, but I'll leave you with one final thought. If you are ever in a meeting and one of the guys on the marketing team uses the word synergy, if he just says it, If the word synergy comes out of his mouth, thank him for his time and get a new marketing guy. Synergy is not real. Synergy does not work. Synergy is a theory. It is an ideology. There is no proven example anywhere in the world where you bring in from different markets to grow your own. It doesn't work that way. It sounds like a great idea. It will continue to be pitched. People will continue to bring it to the table. They will continue to write books. They will continue to do lectures and seminars at colleges. It doesn't work. If you're doing a boxing show, do a boxing show. But I still got to give these guys credit. I mean, it was short. It was not profanity-laced. It was not disgusting and disturbing. In the world of Triller, they moved in the right direction. They really did. Now, you take a look at the co-main event. The co-main event, I believe, was the main event. I believe that was the main attraction, Anderson versus Tito. I got to give Tito a lot of, a lot of credit. I got to give him a lot of due. So he comes out, he's scared to death. And you can understand that, right? You can understand the fear that you would have going into combat with another man. Particularly when you're taking on some at Anderson Silva, who many people have called the greatest of all time, and now you're doing it much closer to his realm, which is boxing. And your Tito, you've never boxed. So you're going to have a fear and an anxiety just to go into the sport that you know very well, which is MMA. Now you're going and doing something different. So this is the spot that Tito's in. Now, quitting in MMA is something you can do and something that you, the viewer, sees regularly. But quitting or taking a dive is very different than a fixed fight. When Pride used to fix fights, they would control that, but they would only go into one locker room. They would only tell the guy that was going to lose, we want you to lose, and here's how we want it to happen. They would never tell the other guy, which is why you didn't need Emmy award-winning actors to pull this off. The celebration looked very genuine and authentic because the winner thought it was. He had no idea that somebody else was visited or somebody else was paid or cash from the Akuza literally was determining the outcome of the match. It's one of the reasons they pulled it off so successfully for so long. Nobody outed him. Only me. In all fairness, I get all the credit for bringing that to your guys' attention. People didn't know pride was fixed, including the guys that were champions and going on runs. They didn't know. 
I've never been part of a meeting. I've never been part of a fixed fight. That's right. Fixed and a dive are totally different. A dive happens when only one side knows. Now, in the illicit description that I just spelled out, that's not what happens every time you see a dive. When you have a guy that wants out, he will formulate, and sometimes he doesn't even know that before the match. He's in the match and realizes, my toast is burnt. I need to get out of here in one piece. That's largely where the rear naked choke comes in. Turn over, give him my back, rear naked choke. Darren Till just did it, just by a perfect example. Darren Till wanted out of that fight. He knew the position. He knew what he needed to show. I held on just long enough. Tap and get out. When Tito took the dive, okay, when you have that anxiety and that fear and fight or flight sets in and you need a way out, there's not a ton of ways to get it in boxing. You're going to have to go down to a punch. You cannot rear naked your way out of this thing. You cannot guillotine your way out of this thing. So it's tough. So what do you do? You wait until that first punch comes and you go down. Now you do need to understand from this perspective, Tito fought a much smaller man than Tito has ever fought in his life. Tito has never fought a man as small as Anderson Silva. Tito did not take that hard of a punch. Oh, and by the way, he took it with a 16 ounce pillow. He was out. Never in Tito's life, even when Chuck Liddell knocked him out back then, never in Tito's life was he out, was he snoring. So he's snoring. He is out. I mean, he sold this thing, pro wrestling stuff. It was great. The way he went down, it was great. It looked very real. The second they say 10, boom, he's awake, smile on his face, and everything's fine. Okay, a little bit of an overactor there. Where you have the downside that isn't considered is Anderson doesn't know that's what Tito did. Anderson does So now Anderson's walking around today going, my God, I got power. My God, these hands of mine. One time I could put this great big guy, didn't even make the weight class, said he was 240 pounds. A number. Of, I put him down with one shot, even with a pillow on my hand. One shot. Boy, whew, I got to be careful. That's one of the things. You'll see, you'll see kids that watch MMA, and they're not aware that the rear naked choke is just the way out of a fight. And then they'll go spend all their time in a jujitsu gym, paying money every month to go learn this devastating move known as a rear naked choke. So things get a little bit weird and they get a little bit confusing. Now, where I said I got to give Tito credit, if you go and do a dive, okay, if you ever lose a fight for any reason where you were one punch and it put you to sleep, you, you couldn't get up. Not MMA where you cover up like a ball and the referee jumps in and he swarms and you say it was an early stoppage and I was getting ready to go, you're, you're asleep, which is the act that Tito pulled. If you do that, your career is now done, right? That's the trade that you're making. I got out of here tonight safely and I get a paycheck. I get to go home in one piece. But my time in this sport is now done. Nobody will ever come back to see a guy who has to snore for 10 seconds over one punch from a much smaller man and that man is wearing a pillow on his hand. I'm done. They're also then going to notice what you did that unlike any reaction you've ever had in your entire professional career, you did not just go down, you went out for 10 seconds. As soon as they said 10, you jumped up and everything was fine. But you're now done. And people are going to start picking that apart. And people are going to start looking at this. Unless you instantly change the topic, which is what Tito did so well. Tito goes right and calls out 
Logan Paul. But he also lays out his reasoning. I lost and you lost. Let's bring two losers to the table. Now, by policy, that is generally the way the sport works. Two guys that won their last fight fight each other. Two guys that lost their last fight fight each other. It's not a rule, but it is generally the way it works. You would never advertise that. You're now demoting. You're not promoting. You're coming out and saying, I suck, you suck. Let's bring our suck together and see if we can make some money. Fine. I don't have a problem that Tito did it. And I thought his timing was very smart. Change this topic. Change the topic as to how you, against a much smaller man, had the worst knockout of your career with one punch 21 seconds in while he's got a 16-ounce glove on his head. you got to change the topic. The problem that Tito ran into where you sit back and you stare at it and go, wait a minute, what just happened, is that it is functionally incorrect. Logan did not just lose his last fight. Logan's last fight was with Floyd. Those two agreed if it goes the distance, Logan wins. That was their agreement. But you can even set that aside and just go by what the commission and what the official organizing body said, which was that it was a draw. You don't have a third option there. I believe Logan won. Logan and Floyd made that deal. We, the viewer, are supposed to recognize it. Out of sportsmanship, I do. Logan won. That's probably not going to hold up in court, right? The event organizing committee really has the final say, regardless of what these two worked out ahead of time, and that was that it was a draw. That's not what Tito said. Tito said Logan lost. Oh, my goodness. What happened here? What happened here? The timing of it, great. Get off the dive, get that whole thing, the whole acting, the whole just let it go. But Anderson doesn't know what's what. So now Anderson thinks he's got like some kind of dangerous power with that right hook. The whole thing is an absolute mess. So the main event, because you have to tie these two together, just hold the thought of what I just left you with. Let's get into Evander versus Vitor. Going into this fight, and the timeline is extremely important. Don't, don't think about what we know now. Don't think about how obvious what we know now is. You have to back up to when this fight gets announced, Evander comes off as a two-and-a-half-to-one favorite. A favorite. It was a little bit surprising that Vitor didn't flinch. I mean, the, the fact that Vitor was changing his body and his physiology to get ready to make 185 pounds and with the snap of a fingers is now in open weight class. There's nothing he could have weighed in at that would have been heavy enough that they would have canceled the fight. Pretty damn big change. He was a favorite, I'm talking about Vitor, to beat De La Hoya. Slight, but favorite. And now he goes to a two and a half to one dog against an opponent he knows nothing about. In terms of right now and where's this guy, it was a big risk by Vitor. It really was a big risk. Now, one day before the weigh-ins, two days before bell time, uh, open workout surfaces of Evander Holyfield, and it was a disaster. It was an absolute disaster. And you start to see, man, I don't know that this fight should happen. You start to see why Andy Foster in California said, we're going to assess this person. We don't have time to assess, and therefore we're not going to hold the fight. But you now start to see what Andy Foster was thinking, and you start to see just how smart and how forward ahead of this thing Andy Foster was. Fight happens. Goes exactly as that training footage would lead you to believe, which is Evander just doesn't know where he is or what he's doing. There's a point in that fight where Evander slips, and when he slips, he falls. As a matter of fact, he falls 
through the ropes. Now, this is the point of sad, right? You have scary. You have combat. You have There's some scary things that can happen. We all know that going in. Now you're at the point of sad of what do we do now? We can see that one man who we have wonderful memories of, who officially falls in the class of a senior citizen, is about to be bludgeoned by another sharp, prepared, hungry, younger athlete. What do we do? The referee stepped in and stopped it. Now, there are fights that are stopped via TKO while a guy is still standing. Connor versus Floyd would be a fine example. I've seen that a number of times. It's rare. I have seen it a number of times. I have never seen a standing TKO in boxing in round one in my life. I've never seen that. Absolutely the right call. Absolutely the right thing to do. And we're all done. Now it's Vitor's moment. And for Vitor to cut a promo the way that he did after that fight, you must understand his frame of mind. Vitor's still scared. Vitor does not know what we now all saw and see. All Vitor knows is I got to go fight a guy that the experts say I, I'm two and a half one, unlikely to beat, who I grew up watching, who looks like he's carved out of stone. Right? This is this is Vitor's standpoint. So for Vitor to have a little bit of relief and to go cut a promo, I got it. It was authentic and it was real and Vitor called out Paul. Now, this was one of my favorite parts of the night because you have one liar who gets in the ring and says they have $25 million, winner take all, to put in this. He quickly gets trumped by his partner, who's the bigger liar, and adds $5 million more lies to it and says, we'll put up $30 million, winner take all. So that was just a, a piece of comedy. But where this got interesting and where I am laying out what the true main event was, if Anderson went after a Paul brother and Vitor went after a Paul brother, you would think that you would tip the hat to Vitor, but I think many other people were saying, no, there's something better here with Anderson. For whatever reason, there's something better here. Now, Anderson helped Vitor tremendously because Anderson people want to get Anderson and Vitor together. Very low-hanging fruit. I believe Junior Dos Santos, who was calling the action on the feed that I had, even said that. Pretty obvious that you could get those guys together. Anderson squashed it, says, forget it. That part is done. It's me and Vitor. We're going to take out the Paul brothers. Now, that is a storyline that works. Having Anderson fight Vitor, fine. Whatever, fine. Having Anderson team with Vitor to go against the Paul brothers, and however you're going to work that out, which Paul goes here and which Paul goes there, and it's the same night, who's the co-main, who's the main? That's interesting. That's an interesting story. I think that nothing from a marketing standpoint as to when one fight ends, preparation for the next fight begins. I don't think anything was as helpful as that. I hope someone runs with it. I haven't seen anybody run with it. I, I think I'm the first to maybe bring it to your guys' attention, but it was a great piece of theater done by Anderson. You're not going to get me and Vitor against each other. Me and Vitor are now going to team up. Fellow Brazilians, former opponents, we're on the same team now and we're taking on these two. It's great. It works. The story works. Let's see how it gets managed. Connor found a way to get a little media attention over the weekend. He goes out to something known as the, the MTV Awards or the VMA Awards, which right there, hard stop, that's weird. That's not cool. That's not what cool guys would do. That's what dorks would do. 
and then hope that more nerds at home watch it. I mean, not for nothing, but Connor being there, very off-brand, not great, not really sure what he would do there, who got him there, how starved for attention he would be to be, right? The whole thing is very slimy. You're taking a group of elitists who are then going to put each other on an elite TV show and elevate them. It's just weird. It's not what a man of the people would do. So the mere fact that Connor's there, okay, then he gets in some dust up with some knucklehead named Machine Gun Kelly. This is also interesting because the only footage that we have is of Connor being upset and trying to get to or get at somebody at a show that has cameras absolutely everywhere, but there is no camera that has Connor and this Kelly kid in the same clip. So Connor is dealing with this and handling it by saying it didn't happen. That didn't happen. I don't know anything about it. Don't even know who he is. Absolutely nothing happened, and nobody can prove different because the only footage that we have is of Connor looking agitated. Here's what I don't want for Connor, okay? As a Connor defender, openly, I don't want him to be a little, rich, weird guy. I don't want that for him. And he's getting and hedging dangerously close to being a little, rich, weirdo. It's a very fine line. The fact that he was there is not great if you're someone like me that tries to come out and perpetuate Connor's cool. That's tough, man. What are you doing at the MTV? If you're ever at a show where Machine Gun Kelly is about to be recognized for doing a good job, you're at a weird show, man. Not for nothing. You got dressed up. You put on a special outfit. You rented a car to drop you off with these other elitist weirdos. It's it's weird. It's very, very bizarre that he was there. Stooping to a low of wanting to get into a dust-up and have to be held back by security while you're on crutches, right? I mean, that's where it comes. You don't want to be a little wealthy guy that's a weirdo. You, do, you don't want that. Okay. So, is it all bad? Is it all bad? Or are we seeing what Chael loves to tell you is an entertainer at work? And how many times can this entertainer go to work and pull some spoof like this where I continue to look like a fool and defend it? I mean, how many times? I can't defend that he was at this nerd show, okay? Apparently, he's not as cool of a guy as I thought he was. Cool guy would never go to a red carpet at something like this. All right. Who is Machine Gun Kelly, by the way? I looked him up. He's a rapper, but he also acts in something, and I saw the show he acted in. I saw it. He was in a movie. He played a bad guy. Paid like a drug dealer, but he had like a little bit of a pimp angle. And quite frankly, he was really good. He played a creepy guy really well. You guys want to know who's awesome? Did you ever see The Tax Collector? Brian Ortega had a meaningful role in the tax collector. I mean, it was a principal role. He would have got inducted into the SAG. He would get royalties for it. It was a speaking part, and Ortega played like a gangster drug dealer type, but he, it was scary. He played a scary character very well. His lines were great. His hair, his outfit was great. The way he spoke, which is very out of character if you ever meet Brian Ortega. Brian Ortega hedges on being shy. 
You don't get a whole lot of words out of him. He really came to life here. I got to give the same thing to Machine Gun Kelly. I didn't know who he was, but when I looked him up in the light of he and Connor getting into it, I recognized him from a movie that I just saw about three months ago. Megan Fox was in the movie, who I believe he dates, this Kelly guy dates in, in real life. Turned into a very interesting piece. Now, why was Connor going after him? What is the back and forth? What is the beef? And overall, what is the payoff? When I feel that I am a Connor defender, which I admit that I am, but I feel when I come to you guys that you have an entertainer at work who's playing chess. He's two and three steps ahead. If there is a payoff in that, then I'm at least on the realm of my ability to be correct, whether I am or not. My misinterpreted or not, if there's a payoff, there's potential that I'm correct. What the hell would a payoff be between Conor McGregor and Machine Gun Kelly? Who's George Masvidal going to fight next? It seems to be a question that comes up often. George Masvidal participated in commentary over the weekend at Triller. Got asked this question, didn't have an answer. Now, there is some consistencies with Masvidal, both when, when Masvidal speaks or when his management team speaks, right? The Kawa brothers. That, yeah, he's not retired. He is looking to be busy. He's looking for something big, but they're, they're never. we don't ever seem to get a little bit closer than that. Masvidal doesn't come out and offer to defend the BMF belt. I'm not sure why. It would be massive. It's a built-in marketing arm that only he has. But he never goes with that direction. We will see pictures or clips or interviews of Masvidal. He looks great. I mean, he does not look like a fighter who isn't in the gym. Doesn't look like he's gained a single pound. I think he's staying active. I think he's looking for something to do. And I have my own guess. I don't think we're going to hear a fight for Masvidal in the coming weeks. I believe the announcement for Masvidal's next fight is being put on hold, barring the outcome of Nick Diaz versus Robbie Lawler. I'm not completely convinced the outcome matters. If Nick goes and beats Robbie, Nick goes and draws into Masvidal. Why? What if Nick loses to Robbie? Why can Nick still not draw into Masvidal? It would seem as though if you have a ready, willing, and able Nick Diaz, boom, we got your opponent. And that's one of those matches that needs to happen. But the Diaz brothers have a code. And if Nick feels that that's little brother's fight, he won't take it. It's one of those things. So there is a few things that have to happen. I just personally believe that we are waiting for those things to happen. Whether we, we know the answer or not, I think we're waiting for the end and the conclusion of Nick's return. I'm not sold on the idea that it's outcome-based, by the way. I think it's going to be willingness-based. And we don't know what makes Nick tick. We do not know. Is this about money? Is this about competition? Is this about getting back in shape? Is this about the roar of the audience? Is it a pie and these are all little slivers and there's something else that we're leaving out? I don't know. But neither do you guys. We don't know. So if you have a willing and able Nick Diaz, right now his plate is full. But on the heels of that, where is his motivation going to be? And with different athletes, same scenario, different response. Some athletes, they go get beat. 
Use Connor by example, just happened and he is red hot. There is no motivation, there is no driver stronger than the fact that he just got beat. Other athletes, they get beat, man, it takes the wind out of their sails and they go crawling a hole and they go away. So who is Masvidal going to fight? I don't think we're going to have an answer until we get a little clarity, until Nick goes out and fights, until X amount of time goes by. And whether that's one minute or that's one month to circle back, where are you at? Where is your head at? And whether it's Nick or not, I do believe Diaz and Masvidal gets put on a ticket. Because the same problem that we're having matching up Masvidal right now, the sport's second biggest star does not have an opponent. That's odd. But the sport's third biggest star, Nate Diaz, and you might have to flip-flop those two. Maybe Nate's number two and Joe, right? I don't know. They're very close and they're massive, but Nate doesn't have an opponent. Nate seems to be blowing in the direction of uh, Luke And Luke spoke about Nate, did some interviews, said, I'm not going to sell the fight with my words, but I will sell it in the ring. I'm going to come after this guy. It's going to be exciting. And then Nate sends out a tweet that says, great, then let's fight. I don't have a problem with that. I'm not going to be a wet blanket. I do think when we look at Nate versus Leon, that was massive and people wanted to see it. There was some hard work involved there. There was some storytelling. There was a little bit of a question, why are we here? What happens to Nate with a win? What happens to Leon with a win? There, there was a, some stuff that made telling that story hard, even if we had a massive outcome. And I just think when you're the spot of Nate, which is extremely unique, the outcome of your matches no longer matter. It is the ideal spot to get into the sport. Nobody would even have that dream or set that goal because there's no way, there's no formula that can be followed to get you to that point. It happens organically, but Nate is in a spot where the outcome of his matches do not matter in terms of his ability to get another massive fight and have the audience's interest. So how do you play that card? I don't think Nate's interested in playing it. I don't see him playing. I don't see a consistency from Nate. That's the only thing missing from every other fighter, though. Nate will take on anyone. Nate fights really hard matches. I'm just wondering why. I mean, they're all they're all going to be really hard. Why are we not telling the story a little bit better? Why are not we reserving? Why are we not playing this card that only Nate is holding a little bit more manipulatively? I think it would be a shame, in all fairness. I really do. If we don't see Nate in there with Masvidal again, I think it would be a shame. I think if Nick steps in, same thing. Nate's going to be in the corner. Nate's going to be in the training camp. This is how we get that one's back. Story works for me. And I think there's other people reaching the same conclusion. And I also think that's why we don't have an announcement and a specific opponent in place for Masvidal. Khabib and Jose Aldo. They got something going on right now, oil and water, and these two aren't getting it right, and I would love to know the genesis of this, and I even looked into it. I'm just not fully satisfied that through my research, I found it, and here's what it is. Look, Khabib weighed in on Jose Aldo. Khabib shot first, and he was talking about Jose's done, he'll never be champion again, and this is post Aldo's victory over Pedro Munoz. I remember thinking, this is weird, this isn't very Khabib-esque. 
Khabib to pull somebody down, let alone a fellow champion, let alone when Khabib is removed from the sport, because the rules change. If you're in the sport, if you're willing to make that walk, say whatever you want. Once you leave the sport, the rules change. You now have one role. One role. If you are, you stay the hell out of the way or help to build the guys who are still there. That's it. Khabib took some shots here at Aldo, and I'm just wondering where that came from. So I look into it a little bit. It turns out somewhere along the way, remember Khabib versus Tony, and that was lit on fire five times. One of those times, Aldo was still a 45-pounder. Aldo offered to step in and fight Khabib. Aldo offered to fill in for Tony Ferg and fight Khabib. Now, I've never heard that, and it's not that I've forgotten it. I would not forget that. And I do remember when ultimately it was Ally Aquina. For a minute there, it was Max Holloway. Like, I remember when this whole thing was happening. And I don't know if that's the same fight because we do have a total of five. And, of course, I'm talking about Khabib and Ferguson. Five times up, five times down. Didn't work out. Somewhere Jose stepped in. And somewhere Khabib doesn't like that and hasn't forgotten. And, by the way, that's an interesting match for one reason for me. As much as Khabib is so dominant with his wrestling, his MMA wrestling, Jose Aldo is just as dominant, but with his defense. Jose Aldo is the defensive George St. Pierre of MMA wrestling. George can take everyone, and Aldo can stop everyone. I'm interested in that match. And while Khabib probably pushes him and Big Brothers him and brings him down, that, that, that one component of that match, I personally would be interested in. Okay, hold the thought, because we're not getting there. I can't remember a champion who's ever been as vocal as Khabib. It looks as though Khabib is searching for his place within the sport. I remember at one point Khabib was offering to train Luke Rockhold, even though Luke has trainers. And I know that Khabib, the trainer, slash kind of helping with management, kind of help with... Khabib's doing a great job. I'm just suggesting for you that he is still finding his place and what it is, and I don't think we've ever had a champion. Champions are a lot like former presidents. They go away. They're hard to get a hold of. Not a lot to talk about. Khabib is definitely the most vocal former champion we've had, and Jose Aldo responded to Khabib. He said, look, you, you say I have no path back, but I'm out here trying. And yes, defeats are part of my process, and defeats would have been part of your process had you stuck around long enough. And I will just tell you this final thought on Jose Aldo. I also did not think there was a path back. That fight with Pedro Munoz changed everything. Jose Aldo went from one of these guys, hey man, what are you still doing here? This is weird. Why are you here? Jose would not have even been in a, in a co-main spot. That whole card fell apart like the week before and Jose got elevated. I just mean not for nothing. Goes and puts on his single best performance, has a perfect call-out, that of TJ Dillashaw, did everything right, and all of a sudden it goes from watching Jose to saying, hey, there's no path, but you're living in denial like all fighters do at some point. This just happens to be your point. It went from that to, no, I could, I could see where Jose could get back into a championship fight. Jan Sterling, where's Dillashaw fit into this? Sandhagen going to have his say very soon. I mean, there's a lot of scenarios where they're going to play musical chairs with that belt. And there's a lot of scenarios where all of a sudden Jose getting sprung back into an opportunity is realistic. So I, I will just give you that. I think that Jose was playing a very thin line. Walking a very thin, thin line of, is this weird? 
is what you're doing at this age and this point of your career for the goals that you believe have, which are very unrealistic, is it weird? Or are you an inspiration? And Jose Aldo, with that win over Munoz, fell onto the side of inspiration. And now he's got people not only saying it's not weird, but he's got a whole community, I'm part of it, that is polling for him to be given that opportunity. Let's see where it goes. Khabib Jose Aldo, even in the media. It's an interesting fight. Tom Aspinwall, you guys following this guy, big heavyweight, good looking guy, aggressive style. He's got like four finishes or four finishes in a row. I mean, he, he's a very talented heavyweight. He made a comment. He said he's willing to go slow. He's not trying to rush his career along. I would love to know what that means. I would just be curious what that means. Generally speaking, and in most weight classes, I would be able to guess that you want to take on guys with similar records. You want to take on guys with similar experience. You're not looking to get into the main event. You're not looking to break into the top five. Generally, that's what I think that that would mean. But it's tough at heavyweight because the hardest fights that Aspal Wall is going to have are against the guys that are just in the mix. Heavyweight's got four or five stars that do have elite skills, but Aspinwall's not in any jeopardy of being in there with Angano, of being in there with Stipe, of being in there with John Jones, should he come back, of being in there with Surreal. So who does he fight? I mean, if you start to look at it, they're all very interchangeable, and I think they're very dangerous, and I think that Aspinwall helps to represent what I've talked to you guys about at heavyweight, which is the future stars aren't still being discovered. They're here. They're signed. They just haven't broken through. I do think when I look at that, here's a tough question for you guys. Who is Derek Lewis going to fight next? That might be one of the harder pairings in the heavyweight class right now. You have a star who isn't going to be fighting for championships. He just did. Who isn't going to be in that premier spot that's reserved now for the interim champion and the undisputed champion who is possibly going to be the in the way if Stipe comes back. But does Stipe get much rub if he goes in and beats Lewis, puts a lot on the line risking to take on Lewis? But that's what I'm bringing up here. Where does Derek go? I think that Derek Lewis is likely going to have to jump on the landmine that is a future star. Might be where Aspenwall comes in. It's one of these tough spots. What do you do now with Derek? A guy who everybody loves, who's got major skills, who had his opportunity, came in second. Where does he go now? He doesn't slide very far down the card. He's still a co-main. He's still a draw. He and Curtis Blades already fought. Curtis is tied up. I think that Volkov versus Derek Lewis is a fight that you can sell. I think that that one matches up. I think the fact that Derek came back and beat him, became a big star, right? Remember, that's the one where he dropped the shorts, told told Joe, Joe Rogan, my, my balls is hot. But he was losing that. That was in the third round. He came back on a sprint, TKO'd, and finished him. He had lost the previous two rounds. So I think all of a sudden you have a reason for these guys to get back in there. But I tie that back into Aspenwall. So I do think that Aspenwall would be wrong if he maintains 
more appropriate fights for his skill and his level of an experience is with some of the younger and unknown guys. Man, those are the most dangerous guys. Much like Aspinwall. Aspinwall is dangerous. Go ask his last four opponents. So where do you go? And 155 is very logjammed as well. You got 10 great fighters all ranked in the top 10, but five of them are stars. And the five stars won't give anybody else that isn't in the top five an opportunity. Where do you go? I don't know that the heavyweight class is like that. I think there is some opportunity out there. I think that opportunity specifically is the bullseye on Derek Lewis, and I haven't seen anybody taking that shot. Aspinwall can come up slow, but I'll remind you, they tried to do that with Conor McGregor as well. They gave him Dustin Poirier and Max Holloway along the way. That was supposed to be slow. So those guys that are unknown, those guys that are unrecognized, those guys like Aspinwall himself that offer the most threats. I'd like a little clarity from Aspinwall. I'd like to see where he's going to go. And I'd also like to bring him to your guys' attention because he checks a lot of boxes. That's it for today's show. If you enjoyed it, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you like and what you dislike. And thank you for the support. I can't say it enough. I'll be back in the near future. But until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.